And hello, everybody. I'm Rick Dancer. Welcome to Get Real with Rick Dancer. And tonight we are going to get real. I know I got to laugh at myself. I always say tonight when you're watching this whenever you want. But when you spend 30 years on the news, it, it was always welcome to tonight. Welcome to tonight. Do you guys see that hair? That damn hair is like not staying where it's supposed to. Oh, man. I have hair gel and it's not working today. So I'm excited about our show, show tonight because uh, this is a young woman I met when she was, I think, 14, 15, 16, probably 16. I don't remember. Um, doing a story for KEZI where, where I was a news guy. And then our lives just kind of kept intersecting and like we were meant to be in each other's lives forever. And so I've been, we've been trying to work this out because she's busy. She's got a job. She's got a big family. A husband and I mean all the things that everybody else has and um, plus Marcy and I tend to um, take things on in a big way but that's just kind of who we are and that's how we are and we're making no excuses so our sponsors are the wonderful people at Albert Taylor endless possibilities these are folks that work with people in our community have different abilities if you're looking for a job where you'll truly make a difference in someone's life Albert Taylor, Endless Possibilities. Look up Albert Taylor slash jobs and you'll find them. Another sponsor for tonight is the wonderful people at Montana Oral Surgery and Dental Implants here in Montana. Uh, amazing doctors. Uh, they'll do everything from extractions to uh, implants. But, and, and the way they put those teeth in, I don't know. It's like if you have to have dentures, I would never do a denture. I do this. <laughs> it's like it's crazy wonderful. Also tonight, our sponsor, Greg Hinkle over at Fairway Independent Mortgage Company. Um, if you're looking to move out of Oregon and Washington, he can help you. If you're looking to move into Montana, he's here in Helena. Really smart. We just posted an interview with him on YouTube uh, about the interest rates right now. You can go to Rick Dancer TV for that interview and find out more. And then also Chris Dental Family Dentistry is also our sponsor. Is always our sponsor. And we have a cool commercial coming up because if anybody's looking for a new dentist, people always ask me, and I'm not bragging, how come your teeth are so white? When you're 64 years old, how do you keep your teeth white? <laughs> well, I, I fake it. <laughs> <laughs> I go to Dr. Bratlin and I have this little things and I, I whiten them twice a year. He's giving away free whitening kits for every new client that comes in. It's super easy. It's not like those crest strips that you put on your mouth. It's not like that at all. But I'll show you a little commercial about that in just a second. But first, let's bring on our guest, Marcy Flores. Am I saying it right, sweetheart? Yep. I'm now a Flores. Because I've, I've known you as well, because you were, I've known you since you were like a puppy. Yeah, I've had a couple last names over the years, <laughs> but I'm Flores. So tell people from what you, how we met and kind of how that story kind of started. Oh, Jiminy Christmas. Um, so we met when I was 16. Um, you were doing a story on teen suicide, um, mainly about Jennifer Baker, a girl that I went to school with. And I'm not even sure how I got brought into that. It might've been Darlene, her mom, that uh, kind of threw me to the wolves on that. Uh, I had been in a similar state as Jennifer. Um, fortunately, I did not pass away. And so we had that conversation kind of about depression and teens and you know all that garbage way back before social media was even a thing. I can't imagine being a teenager now, but. Yeah, you, that was 22, 20, 20, almost 23 years ago. Gosh, 
I know you were just a kid and I remember Jennifer passed away and it was mm -hmm. the whole series was to kind of explain to people what this was like for kids. And you had attempted it a couple of times and, um, and you were very emotional and you always stuck out in my head because that's where you and I are pretty similar. We kind of have big weepy hearts and, mm -hmm. and it's not, it's not hard to make us cry. And you were just like sobbing through this whole thing. And it impacted me. I mean, I never forgot how, you know, and so then when somebody would bring up the issue of suicide attempts, I would always think of you and how fortunate we were that you were not successful at, at the attempt and were successful at living instead. Then it was like a couple years later and Marcy was graduating. Mm -hmm. I had totally spaced. I mean, I didn't remember anything, you know, and they, I got invited to speak at a baccalaureate at Pleasant Hill High School and I went and got in there and I look out in the audience and here's this little girl and this young woman. And I had, and I knew, I knew you and I knew what it was from, but I could not put your name on my lip. I just couldn't get your name out. Later, you told me, um, I don't know, do you remember this? You, this is what I remember, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. You said you didn't want to go to this black laureate. Your mom yeah. said Rick Dancer is going to be speaking, and you said, "Oh, mom, he's not even going to remember me." Yeah. And I looked out in the audience. You were with child, and I had a full last child. He was actually six months old then. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. And then I looked and right, I was trying to get my you know, my thing going with the speech and stuff and doing it. And I kept looking at you and going, God, who is that? And all of a sudden it was like, God whispered in my ear and I went, Marcy, I'm so glad you're here. Yeah. And you started crying and the whole, the whole baccalaureate turned into Marcy and Rick's friendship and what you've done and how this had gone and all that kind of stuff. And it was super cool. And then over the years, I just kind of kept up with you and on social media. Um, and, you know, what, you, what do you say, what, what do you say about those days of your life? Because you were, you know what I mean? You had a, a, well, everybody had, I don't want to make yours out to be worse. Everybody has a rough go, but you've had a rough time. Yeah, I've had a rough time. I'm I'm looking across the room, realizing how far away the tissues are, and maybe I've made a bad choice about that. <laughs> yeah, I can't um, hand you one through the camera. I know. Um, yeah, no, I had a really rough time. I had a really, you know, I um, was first put on antidepressants when I was like 12, and uh, you know, I was a child, you know, and I was experimenting with drugs and drinking and doing all kinds of shit. So my ability to take medication consistently did not exist. So that actually makes you much worse in case you didn't fucking know that, that, um, so I would, you know, take a med for a little while and then not take it and then take it and not take it. And I actually kind of put myself into a position where I was actually diagnosed with bipolar disorder because my brain was so fried from, you know, Paxil, back and forth, and Xanax, like all of it, but not consistently enough for any of it to work. So I just perpetuated this cycle of anxiety and depression. And then, of course, like put myself in some really bad situations and had some traumatic experiences thrown in the pot. And um, yeah, I just I, I hit a wall. Well, I hit several walls, but um, the wall, the last one was, um, you know, and it, 
I think largely caused by, you know, my rapid, you know, cycling with on and off, you know, of SSRIs. And uh, I, I overdosed for the last time, um, November of that year um, of must have been 90, no, must oh. have been thousand because we met February and it was just a few months after that. So it was still pretty fresh in my mind. And I've gone through, you know, uh, 855,000 therapists since then and kind of figured out the root of all of my problems. And, uh, you know, I've been unmedicated now for 10 years and doing, you know, able to cope with life a little better. So the therapist was the key. Actually, the therapist that I met the that time that I overdosed, I met her in the McKinsey Willamette um, ER, and it was Patricia Norberg was her name, and uh, she just got it like right off the bat. Like I had gone, you know, my parents divorced when I was younger, and they put me in counseling, and then I was acted out and all kinds of stuff. So, I I have been and always will be very stubborn and very smart, and so not you into a therapist and within the first five questions if they didn't address my base trauma then fuck them i did not want to talk to them and i just i would walk out of appointments i would lock myself far like if you're not smart enough to figure out what's wrong with me i'm not going to waste my time talking to you starting when i was 12. and uh one within five minutes of meeting patricia norberg she was like this 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 and, this. and i was like yeah so, so got, how important is that you think, Marcy, for you that somebody understood you? Or even knew what to ask a traumatized teenage girl. Like how hard is it to figure out what was going on? But um, it was the first time that I like felt seen by a professional and uh, she was great. And then once I started, you know, getting into trouble again and not behaving, I stopped seeing her because I didn't want her to be disappointed in my choices, but uh, I, it, I've gone through uh, several therapists since then. And, you know, I still remember her and I, I feel like I saw her out in the community probably 15 years later. And it was kind of like seeing you at the baccalaureate, like all the feelings come back. And I just want to be like, you, thank you. You did good for my life. So. Don't you think that's important, like people reaching out like that? And, and do you feel like it's kind of, I mean, like with like you and me, and I remember we were at the Twisted River during the um, the dark time when we weren't supposed to be out yeah. and we were all out and we saw you. And it was like, when I saw you and I just hug you and I feel like you're one of my kids, you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. and we don't, it's not like we hang out or see each other, but I think like God puts people in your life, like for, right. And know, it's at specific spots too, because I remember running into you um, at the gym that was in Gateway Mall. I think it was 24 Hour Fitness or something back then. And I was like this pregnant with my, I want to say my youngest. And I was with my ex-husband and you're on a bike and like, I didn't even want to interrupt and like come say hi to you. But it was like just a moment of like, you know, hey. And we, you know, we, we sat and talked for a second, but I feel like God definitely puts the right people in your path at specific times. Just to even check in with your path and, and remember the good stuff in addition to the bad. So what, like, what if you if you could go back? What what would you what would you do differently? As it back to sixteen? Yeah. Or would you do anything differently? Oh God, <laughs> so much. Um, well, there's things because, like, for me, sometimes I think the bad shit that that. 
I mean, I got caught stealing and all this stuff. And I, I mean, not, I'm not saying it was good, but I think sometimes it made me who I am today. So I'm more understanding and I don't know. You know what I mean? I, oh, I, I'm not saying we shouldn't, you know, there's things we, that I choices I made that were bad, but I feel like sometimes like God just looks at me and goes, Rick, it's okay. So I'm going to use all this to make, I'm making you into somebody that's different than everyone else. And it's not that I, this is what I wanted you to do, but I'm going to take what you did and make it into something that's super, super valuable for you. Like that nobody else can have in the whole world. Oh, absolutely. And realistically, like I wouldn't have put myself in some of the situations that I was in, but like we did our interview mid February and I found out I was pregnant. Um, uh, I want to say end of March, early April. So I was, I had just turned 17 and uh, you know, that, that baby saved my life. Like he, it's, it wasn't the coolest thing to be a teen mom, especially at a small school like Pleasant Hill, but, um, you know, he's, he saved my life. And it, I changed how I do everything, how I think of everything and what I did, you know, he just derailed the train that I was on in a positive direction. And, you know, all of the, the experiences that, oh, damn it, the experiences that I went through um, were made me more empathetic to the things that my children that I'm going to go through as young adults. I have two children that have been suicidal at times and um, had a lot of problems with anxiety and depression and trauma. And, you know, I could sit in the Johnson unit with my 14 year old and, you know, reminisce on the time that I was there and instead of being, you know, totally shocked and in horror and lost and confused like my poor mother she was she was terrified when she had to experience that with me not once not twice but three times and so you know because I walked that path like I totally get it and I can see it coming from a mile away I've been able to kind of pull it out of my children before they're even able to identify what I know so you have three kids I have three that I have been through, yes. Okay. And how old are they? Um, Zach is almost 22, Max is almost 15, and Killian is almost 10. Wow. Yeah, they have their birthday next month. And you, you moved into and bought your childhood home, is that right? Yeah, I was actually thinking about that this morning. That's um, What the house was like when you were there and what it's like now. Yeah, I bought my childhood home back in uh, 2019, I think, and which was also a different adventure that I didn't anticipate. I, you know, I grew up there. I lived there my whole life. I moved out when I was pregnant, and then my grandma passed away, and we lost the house to the bank, and it was like the biggest regret for my whole family that you know we weren't able to keep it. And it was just like always this goal, like, you know, I wish that I could somehow buy the house and it would just make everything better. It would just bring my whole family back together and steal all the cracks that I had. And actually the song, uh, the Miranda Lambert song, The House That Built Me, I went oh, to- I cry all the time when I hear that. Oh, you, it hits different when it's you- Don't you feel like, like, you know, all the hard things you went through as a kid, I do, is like, I remember my downstairs bedroom and how many times I cried in there or felt so alone. And it's oh. like, if you could go into that house and tell people. Yeah. You, so you got to re-experience that though with your house, huh? Yeah. So I went to that concert in February of 19 and that song came on 
And I was crying so hard that the people sitting next to me, my friends were over here. These people were strangers and they were like, ma'am, are you okay? Do you have people with you? Like, do you need us to call someone? It was, it hit me pretty hard. That was a really rough patch in my life. And um, the next day I was in a like a business meeting kind of with like some life coaches and people that I was working with in my essential oil business. And one of them was a, a naturopathic doctor named Dr. Jessica who lives on the East coast. And I told her about the concert and was horrifically crying, even then just talking about it. And she asked me like why I was so upset. And I told her, you know, I kind of explained, you know, about the house and said that I had a plan to buy the acre, like the backyard of the house. And I was going to put a manufactured home there and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, no. And she said, she's on the call. She said, put your shoes on. And I was like, why? She's like, you're going to go buy your house back. And I was like, the fuck I am? What are you talking about? I'm a single mom. I live in a duplex. Like, what are you talking about? How am I going to do that? She's like, we'll figure it out on the way. And we had a conversation the whole drive out there about was like it, was it for sale? No. So it had been bought by a family that lived in Cresswell who was gonna flip it. They bought it at the auction, you know, at the courthouse for pennies. And um I had never I hadn't been there since they bought it. I hadn't met them, and I drove out there and on Highway 58, right before I turned into the driveway, I heard God say. If his truck is there, it's done. And so I was like, oh, thanks. That was weird. So I pulled in the driveway and the, the older man's truck who wasn't living at the house at the time. And uh, I walked in, I introduced myself, did the whole house that built me thing, walked around, told him about every room, touched every wall. And then I said, I and he said, Are you here to talk about the you know the backyard? And I was like, No, I'd actually like to talk about buying this house. And he was like, This house. I was like, uh-huh. And he said, little girl, you can buy this house. And I said, I think so. And he said, well, what are you thinking? And I threw a number out that I had come up with in my head, talking to Jessica on the way there. We did a handshake deal and he agreed to sell me the house. And at that time that he had completely, cause it was squatted in for years. And so it was, it was disgusting. And he had gutted it down to like studs and like baseboards. There was not, there weren't doors. There was nothing. There were no toilets or anything like that. And, um, I had we, the agreement that we made, that I would have one year to keep the house so that it could be financeable. And I fucking pulled it off and we live in now. But what I would uh, to say about how it was different than I anticipated is when I, you know, I thought I'm going to buy it and everything's going to be all better and it's going to be, it's going to heal my soul. And after a couple months that I was there, I fell into a deep depression. I was, missing. I was a mess. I was really, really, really sad. And I, I was talking to a friend of mine about it and her mom said, um, the thing about trauma and our childhood homes is that it's not always just the good stuff that comes back when we move home. And that is exactly what happened. Like I, I it felt as like I moved back into the childhood bedroom. So all of that old stuff just kind of lived in the walls and just kind of took over and I re-experienced a lot of that stuff and it and uh good friends and you know talking through what I was that's actually when I got back on medication for the first time 
And it only, I only was able to do it for three weeks because I remembered why I hate being on antidepressants. And, um, but yeah, it was, I never anticipated that happening. Like I thought, you know, daisies and sunshine. And so did it, did it bring your family back together? Oh my God. Yeah. So my mom is my neighbor and, uh, my dad, uh, lives in town and comes over whenever he wants to. My younger brother lives with me and, uh, it's the place where we have like, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving. And I kind of refused to let anybody else host. Uh, my brother did last year because his birthday was on Thanksgiving and I begrudgingly went. <laughs> I just want everyone to be in that space. And I want like all of those holiday feelings that we loved when we were younger to just never go away. So was the, the purchasing of the house then, do you think, in the big picture to, to kind of force you to look in the mirror at oh, yeah. your expectations of childhood and maybe this was just part of who you are. You don't are what you know, I don't know. What did you because you, you know, I think we all do that. We have expectations that things are going to be like this and that. And then when they don't, I think sometimes people then think it was wrong. <laughs> and I never I just I don't know. I just don't think I do. I don't know how like Kathy and I bought this house where we are and it's too big. We made an Airbnb. That was our plan. And then we've kind of found that this might not be the town we want to necessarily live in. We want to stay in Montana, but maybe scale down and then get a like an RV and make it into a podcast booth and just travel this state, the, this the country. And oh, do I, an love that idea. I just do an interviews with people, you know, yeah. and so now everything's changed. But I said to my wife, I said, I think that we love I love this. How I don't think this was the wrong thing. This was our stopping space. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And for you, it seems like that was. You know, it was right, but you had to go back in there and deal with those demons that oh. were still there. And did that make you, I don't mean better, I just mean, did, did it make you stronger? Oh, absolutely. And it set me on a, you know, a path to all of the wonderful things that are happening in my life now. Like I, I never would have... I never would have been where I am now, obviously. Like everything happens for a reason and I'm falling into like all of the greatness that is supposed to be for me. But it, it was rough. It was real rough in the beginning. And what's funny is, you know, it's a it's a six bedroom, three bath house. And growing up, it was like we had generational love going on in that house. So we had my, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, my cousins filtered in and out like it was everybody's house. And when I bought it, it was me and my three kids. And I was finishing one room at a time as I went. And uh, I remember thinking, what the fuck am I going to do with all these pictures? Like, it, it felt bad. You know, homelessness is such a big problem. I have so many friends that are, you know, like trying to find places to live. And, you know, there's a million orphans in the world. And I, I was, in, I had this like chaotic feeling like, once I finish these rooms, I have to fill them up because it feels bad to have all these empty bedrooms. And uh, I met my husband. Um, so I had to finish the house um, by April 1st. And I my first date with my husband was April 26th. The, the hilarious part is that he was a contractor and can build and fix and do anything. And I had completely finished the house before I met him. So he didn't have <laughs> so, so Marcy, I'm going to just make a, a guess here that timing isn't your thing. I feel like it is kind of because I, 
I had to do all of that by myself to know that I could, to prove that I could, and to be able to like look at it in all of its like patchwork glory and say that I did that. Right. Because if had I, you know, been dating someone that, you know, could do it all for me, that wouldn't that wouldn't have helped. Like, I mean, it wouldn't have helped you at all. No. No. It was a journey. Every so how- that I put in, every piece of trim that's sideways and upside down like I did that isn't that a good feel I remember because I wasn't really into building and when we did our house remodeled it the second time the contractor said this wall in the bathroom is yours you're going to watch me and then you're going to build that wall and so Mm -hmm. I did so I remember when I took a shower and I saw the wall with the window in it I made that wall and I felt so good you know I mean and my wife and I, because we didn't have any money, we had to learn how to do everything, lay floors, you know, all that stuff. And you fi- oh. you figure out, it's amazing what you can do when you have to, huh? Yeah, I was on a time crunch. And again, I, like I was a single mom and uh, just my income. Mm-hmm. And I had to patch that thing together with, you know, glue gun and things. We I found my vanity in my downstairs bathroom was actually on the side of Highway 58. And someone was like, hey, I found this. You want to use it? I'm like, Yes. It's it's exactly what I was looking for. It's it's what I needed. And um, I actually just, I had a um, a unhoused person that was actually living in my mom's RV in her driveway. His name was Doug and he was my handyman and he was my helper. And from, you know, we'd get up in the morning and work on stuff. My mom painted the 3,400 square foot eat with him at night in the dark because I was on a timeline and I had shit to do. And, you know, my family came together to really help put it together. Um, and it, it worked out exactly how it was supposed to. So I, Aram and I meet, we start dating, we fall in love and Aram has two daughters. And uh, that's my next question. how did you fill up those rooms? Uh, exactly. So Aram had two daughters and within, uh, you know, probably six months, all of a sudden every, you know, everyone was able to have their own bedroom. Like it wasn't this like forced blending of families where people have bunk beds and, and our kids were substantially older. So I think Aubrey was, um, I think Aubrey was 20 and Zach and Carly were 19. And, um, you know, it just, it was easy. It was seamless. It was like, you know, she, they had Carly lived with Aram uh, before they came to live with us. So she got her own room. And then um, Aubrey had, you know, some issues with her roommates and asked if she could move in. And I was like, yeah, there's that, you know, there's that room over there. We're not using that one. You're welcome to it. And so we got to have a very full house with five kids and, you know, all the fabulousness, fabulousness that came from that. And then Aubrey, Aubrey was the first to move out. And I had a guest room for like 48 minutes and then Zachary moved out and I was like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, remodel. And we've got all these dreams and stuff we're talking about. And then um, we got our foster boys. That was kind of a, they fell into our lap. Um, November of last year. I didn't know about this. So you have two foster boys. They, they actually just moved out a couple of weeks ago, but uh, they were our neighbors and I got a phone call from a friend of mine who knew that, you know, I knew of the boys and told me, you know, that there's some stuff going on over there and uh, they need your help. And Aram and I ran down there and we told the boys, just go up to our house and hang out while we get this figured out. And uh, that was November 11th and they stayed they stayed for a very long time and just left, we left maybe September 11th, so 10 months after they moved in. But again, I had two open bedrooms and they just, 
it, they just fit and they were able to have their own rooms for the first time in their lives. And it just worked out. And so now um, they just moved out and I'm, I think for, I keep staring at the two empty rooms, but my baby brother, Noah, just had his first son at the end of the Love that guy. He's such Love a good guy. guy. Uh, he's, it's my whole heart, that kid. And um, so he and his partner just had uh, baby Dax. And so now I immediately am setting up a nursery and put together a crib. So Dax has a bedroom. So I just feel like it's just going to be this cycle of, you know, people in my life that are just going to fall into my lap at the perfect time. And I'm going to have space for them. So what does Aram do for you that nobody oh, else uh, everything. Every, like, I don't know how I survived <laughs> before I met him. Like he met a strong, independent, stubborn woman who could do, I didn't need him for shit. And I am now not that girl. Um, like he makes me breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And, uh, Financially is obviously a bigger part of my life than I ever thought a man would be and um, loves me for exactly who I am and all of my crazy glory and loves my children like his own and any situation I'm like, hey, uh, I think I'm going to apply for this job and completely change our whole lives. And he was like, oh, that's a great idea. Like he just he backs me no matter what all the time. Even so, though I drive him absolutely insane. Not you. That's true. I think you would be the easiest person ever. Well, we, I feel like the way that we met um, kind of set the tone for how things were going to go for us. We, we actually, our first interaction, like we were acquaintances, we had mutual friends. And uh, our first interaction was during that dark time when I was in my house by myself, the kids were staying with their dads and I was sad and drinking and in my phone way too much. And it was when the border crisis was happening and the kids in cages and all that shit. And I was way down the rabbit hole of sadness on that one. And uh, somehow he on someone's post, he and I got into a fight about what was happening and what wasn't happening and what was right and what was wrong. And it turned into this really big, like diabolical, you know, fight about politics. And I tend to not do that, but it, it, he caught me just right at the right moment. And so our first interaction was cussing each other out on the internet and fighting about politics. And I was like, I got to a breaking point where I was like, you know what, man, and I deleted all of my um, comments and, pulled myself out of that conversation and he sent me a message and was, you know, was apologetic and said that he respected my views and that I was really intelligent. It was hard to have a conversation and fight with somebody like that. And uh, now we're married. <laughs> a match made in heaven. Yeah, no, I honestly think so. I think that he's, we both... he's a super cool, I don't know him, but just from seeing what you guys do and he's got a food cart. I mean, he, he does everything. And Literally everything. Like so, he was a contractor, so he can build and fix and frame and he can just envision a building and then let it do so, which he, it, our brains could not be more different. He'll draw it, he'll explain it to me and I'll be like, no. Then he'll draw me a picture and I'm like, still no. And he will build it and I'll go, oh, I get it now. 
I get what you're saying. And he is an owner and operator of an adult foster home um, for special needs, kind of high risk adults. And um, right now he's going for a position. Um, he's actually going for two positions at the same time, um, a parole and probation officer for Lane County or being a state trooper. Well, so the no, I think I saw the state trooper one. I think I saw that post or something. I was taking a test or something. Yeah. So tell people what you're doing now because you're doing some really cool stuff. I so love your videos. You know. I feel like I know you just because, you know, because you're very natural at it. I'd like to think that I kind of gave you your first start there. Yep. But, you know, I learned it from my Uncle Rick. My Uncle Rick. No, I, you do really well with those and it's fun to watch it. But tell people what you do. Well, I do many things. So um, my first job, I'm an off where I am hiding right now. I'm an office manager at a massage therapy office in Springfield. My stepsister is the owner and uh, she needed some help September of a million years ago. And I was like, well, I'm not doing anything right now. I can come help you. And now I'm here forever. Um, so I'm here two days a week. I actually just got my dream job um, working as a birth assistant at Oregon Birth and Wellness Center. I work with three incredible midwives and get to help bring babies into the world. I saw those pictures. Oh, my gosh. I was wondering. I, the first thing I saw a picture, I thought, she and Aram had a baby. Oh, God. He people, jump, people jump to those conclusions, you know. And it's like, and then I started reading and I thought, oh, my gosh, what a perfect thing for you to be there when people, when these little nippers um, come into the world. It is. When I had Zachary, you know, I was 17. I was a pig headed asshole. And uh, I, but I was raised by kind of a naturopathic mother earth kind of person who had always taught me, you know, I had always been raised that like childbirth was the best thing she ever did. Like it, you know, she talks about it like it's rainbows and unicorns. She went a little far on how cool it really, like how great it really was. Um, but when, so I, yes, I was 17 when I was having Zach, but I wasn't stupid and I wasn't scared. And I was, I knew what to expect and I knew what was going to happen. And I knew what, where my hard limits were. And I had a nurse that was just like one of those old cratchy broads. And she came in and tried to push some feelings on me. And I was like, listen, I'm going to leave this hospital and I'm going to go to college. I'm going to become a nurse. and I'm going to take your fucking job and <laughs> out of my room. And that was the last time I saw that nurse. But so in my brain from that time, I was going to be a labor and delivery nurse. And as my belief system and kind of my thought process on Western medicine has morphed over the last, you know, 20 years. Um, I realized that that wasn't a space that I could be productive. That wouldn't be good for me because I would be trying to advocate against the doctors. And that, just, that wasn't going to work out. And uh, this job landed, my, a friend of mine posted about it, like, the week that my youngest son moved to California and the boys, the foster boys were supposed to go back to their mom. And I was like, what am I going to do with my hands? Like, what am I going to do with all this extra time? And I just felt like this, the, that God, the God timing thing, man, it is real. And I was like that, no way, because there have been several points that I've like, I've gone to apply for the nursing program. And every time something happens with my kids so that I wasn't able to fulfill it. And, uh, I went and I interviewed and I cried through my whole interview because Not you. <laughs> um, I had gotten some bad news like an hour before from the caseworker and it just wrecked me. And I went in there really unsure about my future and what everything was going to look like. And actually they, they said on Friday, I was laughing about someone we were interviewing and how 
I liked them and they were so much like me and they were a little quirky. And they're like, well, and I said, at least they didn't cry the whole time. She was like, that's why we hired you. Like you came and bared your soul. Like we would never know. Like we, it would never be like, we're not sure what to expect from Marcy. Like they know what to expect that I'm going to cry and be a hot mess. And it's going to be fine. So do but, you, um, what, yeah. do you learn, what do you learn from like to tell people that, you know, cause I think Marcy, so many people try to live the image or the life they think they're supposed to rather than the one that they are. You know what I mean? And that's what I love about you is you're just yeah. like raw and, and I'm, I'm, I can't do that. Like I, I really, I physically. am not able to filter. I'm not able to filter my mouth. I'm not able to filter my emotions and I don't want to. And when I meet people at that, you know, say things like that to me, like, Oh, I wish I could just be so raw and open like you. And I'm like, you can't you just try it. Like it's so freeing to just be able to talk about, like I cared about something disturbingly personal this morning on my Insta stories. I treat it like my, like it's just, and it helps me to say stuff out loud and uh, kind of get feedback from other people. But it's mostly for me just to, I'm getting it out of my body. I, I don't need to hold on to that. I need to just let it out. And uh, it works really well for me. And if people are turned off by that, they can just, you know, not watch. Yeah, I've had so a couple people say things like, "Wow, you you know you really talk a lot about your personal life." Even my older, even my older brother Bo was like, "You overshare," and I'm like, "I don't care." The people that follow me know that that's what's going to happen. And if you're new and you come across my page and you see me crying about some traumatic experience and it turns you off, you can go away. You yes. I, mean, I get that all the time too. It's like <clears throat> in my own family, they don't read my stuff. I, my wife does, but my kids just, dad, you, t you share too much. But it's like when it's who you are and it's what you do, um, you know, I would never, I don't want to change that. And I get, you know, I get like you probably, I probably get more, but I get criticism from people, just yeah. um, things that, you know, but so I had an interesting thing the other day is this guy um, wrote me, and I don't know who he is. And he just commented on a page. I had a page doing some bicep work because somebody was asking, what do you do for your bicep work? So I just showed them what I did. Right. I didn't say that. I just was doing bicep work. And the guy came out and he goes, you are such a, I used to really like you, but you're such a narcissist lately. And I just, so I just wrote back and I said, well, actually, you know, I was doing this video to show somebody how to do the bicep work that I do. And, um, but you know, you can think what you want. A couple days later, guy comes on another post and he says, um, Rick, I am so sorry. I had a bad day and I was just angry and I didn't understand. I, and you explained what you were doing and I'm really sorry. And I said, and I, so I wrote back and I said, you do not know how much that means because, you know, when somebody, when there's so many mean people and one person comes back and says, I, I mean, you remember that there's an Elton John song, sorry seems to be the hardest word. When people apologize, I want to remember this in my own life to apologize to people because I think it really is like a, it's like this breaking thing. It just yeah. broke something in me. And he doesn't, I don't know him. He doesn't know me, but it broke something else because he doesn't realize that all these other people say similar nasty things. And all it takes is one to break that for you. You know what I mean? Right. You kind of go, God, if you knew the power that you just had in my life, just by saying you're sorry for doing that or somebody coming on going, you know, no, I understand that person's being rude to you or something like that. It's crazy. 
Yeah. And I, I don't, I think a lot of people take that for granted and it's, um, words of encouragement is not as something that I need is my love language, but I'm not good at it. Yeah. And I will catch myself like, Oh, I got to remember to, and if, if there's a thought that crosses my mind, like even telling Noah that I'm proud of him, you know, he just had a baby. He's an amazing partner. And, um, he has been there for her, you know, for every step of the way, you know, like a great dad is, but yeah. you know, he's my baby brother and yeah. he wasn't born with those things and they weren't modeled for him at all. And so last night I was laying in bed and just, you know, I was a hot mess about something else that was happening. But in my mind, I kept saying, man, I gotta, I gotta know how proud of him I am. I gotta do that. And I was like, what the fuck? And I picked my phone. I was like trying to go to sleep. Like, do it right now. Yeah. Say, say the positive thing the moment you think of it because you don't know someone's going to need to hear that. You don't know what they're going through, and that could change their whole day. Well, it goes back to what you were talking about earlier, we were, is God's timing. And so yeah. if, you're, if you're hearing that inclination to do something, it's probably the whisper of that still small voice saying, Marcy, your brother needs to hear how proud you are of him. Right. And then you do that, and he may never... And I, you can't, I think we, it's, it's really, it'd be so nice if you go, oh, Marcy, that means so much, but probably sometimes they're not going to say that. Yeah. And you just know that it's just like, this is all part of this giant play that we're in. And that's what I think is like with, with our relationship, it feels like I got thrown in this play mm-hmm. and here you are. And then ever we keep crisscrossing like that. And I think in the end, when this is all over and we're in the next thing, um, We'll all be standing in line and, and it'll be like God going, okay, so Rick, see that long line of people? Yeah, that, yeah, that's Marcy right there. Um, you impacted all those people's lives. Now, wait, now watch. Look at the ones that Marcy did, did like this. And there's all oh, these geez. spider webs that go off into all these places because we connected and made, um, made those and we talked about it. You know what I mean? And I think that's the power of what you're doing on your, you know, with your, your videos and your essential oils and stuff. And I love, sometimes you get up, you look so cute when you have the little wrap thing on your head, you know, like girls wear, cause you take called head hugs. Well, I don't know what that is. I'm a guy, so I don't get it, but they're so they're They look so cute on you and you have those little hair hugs on it. It looks like this is something I don't have to do anything with my hair. I just put this in. I wish they had guy hair hugs. You know what I mean? Because I could, I, I do that. We just have these things. I can talk baseball. to her about that. I know we the girls baseball, hat, baseball hats, you know, and yeah. you stick it on. And so do you, people come on and if I have a hat on, they'll go, you having a bad hair day? And I said, yeah. yeah <laughs> I am. Uh, yeah. The, the, the hair hug uh, or the head hugs for a little while were just like, I just loved them and wanted to wear them all the time. And then now they're my, well, this is what we're doing with my hair today kind of thing because I go from one job and the last time I wore one, it was a, I had a birth marathon that was like 36 hours long. I went home and slept for an hour and a half and then I woke up and I went back to work and I didn't have time to take a shower in the middle. And I was like, thank you headband for being able to make me look halfway normal right now. So how old are you? I'm 39. I'm going to be 40 so in February. What, so what do you tell your kids? Um, if you were going to wrap up your life, you know, like, oh, geez. what would you say to the three of them? So much. I say so much stuff to them. Um, you know, it's a hard question and one that will bring the tears. I've told the older two, not the baby one. He's still, you know, not too 
out there in the universe yet. Um, but to learn from my mistakes, um, I've been very open and honest about everything I've ever done in my whole life with them, probably too honest, but who cares? And, um, you know, to learn from my mistakes, but know that they're going to make their own. And uh, I'm here all the time, no matter what. Like my my oldest, you know, has gotten, he's been in a little bit of a roller coaster the last couple of years. And he calls me and I will never, never not answer the phone when that boy calls me because he'd be calling me to tell me that he just watched last night. He called me to tell me a show that he watched from that he watched when he was like four. And he was like, I'm watching this again with my whole fully developed brain. And this show is great. But he can also call me, you know, drunk in the middle of the night having you know, a really fucking hard time. And I will, I keep my phone ringer on just in case Zach ever needs me. Is he, and, the, baby? Is he the baby? Well, he's my baby, but he's- Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean the youngest. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. He's he's almost 22. <laughs> no, but my, my wife, my, my, my baby is 33 and he yeah. and his mom text each other daily, which I love. I yeah. do teach her. I say, is that your boyfriend? And she goes, stop it. Cause yeah. she's texting him all the time, but he tells her, she goes, if I don't get on the text with him or whatever, then he, he, something could come out of this conversation that I would miss out on if it didn't happen. Great. And, and, and that happens how, all the time. Moms are awesome though. I think moms read that better than dads. I think. I mean, in my experience, absolutely right. And Aram's not, I mean, Aram is an incredible dad and has a great relationship with his daughters and you know, they're friends and they talk and, uh, we all went through some rough patches with our older kids over the last, you know, two years, but everybody's kind of healing and doing better. And, you know, we're doing a lot of, a lot of talking and um, I love it. I love, I love all that, like having kids that are like in college and kindergarten at the same time is wild. <laughs> like I, we will be grandparents before Killian grows up and moves out of the house. Like we're, you know, we're never going to be without kids, which, you know, I'm here for, I love that. So what does your 39 year old self, I get this question from millennials all the time and I love it. I think it's the most awesome question. I'll get it on TikTok lives. They'll say to me, what would your 64 year old self tell your 30 year old self? Oof. And so I wondered like, what would your 39 year old self, if you could go back in time and sit with the 16 year old Marcy? Oh, I don't want to sit with her. <laughs> No, if, if I could go back and tell, sit with my 16 year old self, I would tell her it's all going to work out. Yeah. You know, your, your dreams are actually true in ways you never imagined, but it's going to take a really fucking long time. <laughs> like, like 23 years later, I'm, you know, happily married with amazing children that are happy and healthy and love me. My parents are still alive and doing great, you know, and I, you know, I just got my dream job and I'm almost 40 and even 30 year old me, by the time I was 30, I had three goals. I wanted to be married. I wanted to be a mom and I, well, I wanted to have three kids if we're being specific and I wanted to be a labor and delivery nurse. And I remember when I was 30, having my third child married at the time, the nurse thing was just nowhere in sight. And I was like, well, I can't get them all. And if I could even tell her, like, cause 30 year old me had a rough time uh, that, you know, just wait like a little bit longer. And I, I never, I don't think I, in my wildest dreams, I could have envisioned my life the way that it is now, like how happy and healthy 
and successful in so many ways and loved I am now. Even, you know, 30-year-old me probably didn't even see this future. But all the hard stuff were the steps that got you there. I had to go through it. Yeah. Aram and I talk about it all the time because I'm not his first wife and he's not my first husband. And we joke about there was this window, really short windows, like six weeks that in um, 2008, where our paths, we were both single and uh, our paths could have crossed, probably did actually, that's a story for another day, but there was this window that we could have met then and we would have saved, we both would have been saved from so much stress and pain and hurt and trauma but it, we wouldn't be who we are now. Right. I don't think that 2008 Marcy, I think Aaron would have hated her. <laughs> I don't think he wouldn't have been able to handle the shit that was going on back then. And I think that he had to go through a lot of the stuff that he did to get to the place where we are now. Like we, as adults, you know, 39 and 45, uh, we were made for each other perfectly in every way. Like, so I'm, I'm grateful for all of those missteps. Like it was not fun. I did not have a gay old time. There were definitely some bad years in there, but I mean, decades of just shit, but you know, here I am. I made it. I made it through the other side of all of it. It's kind of funny that you just got this nursing gig. And what I find is fun for me is I started this conversation with you when you were 16 and now here we are at 39 and I had no idea that that nursing thing was this big a deal to you, but I get to talk. Well, to cause it wasn't until nine months later that I had that conversation with that nurse. Cause back at 16 year old me thought she wanted to be a pediatrician and I worked as a pediatrician's assistant for six years and I love that job. But I, the boss, the doctor that I worked for pushed me. She was like, you've got to go to nursing school. You have to follow your dream. And I was like, yeah, I'll try. I'll try. Maybe. And, uh, but yeah, the, I think it's kind of ironic that you want to talk to the, the all better me right here, that like all of the dreams have come true at the same time. And, and, and we're not, you and I don't want people to get the wrong idea. You and I aren't saying that there will be more hardship and things going on, but we know we got oh. it belt. You know what I mean? You get it under your belt and you get good at failing and, and realizing that failing is like a for the step. And then when you trip and skin your chin on something, you just pick your chin back up and you keep moving up that ladder. And I think too many people today just give up and expect things to just happen in this perfect timing. And there is, there is perfect timing, but it's usually not perfect in our, it's world. not ours and it's yeah. not, our, it's not by our design at all. And, uh, you know, even like a month ago, um, you know, my youngest son, I, I you know, gave him permission to go to school down in California and live with his dad and, um, the, our foster boys moved out. And I went from, you know, at one point we had seven children and like Christmas last year, I was buying Christmas presents for seven kids. And now we have one kid in the house and that empty nest feeling hit me like a brick wall. And I hated it. I was a mess and I just opted to not deal with it right now because, you know, I've got this new job and I have these two babies coming that I'm a big part of their life. And I was doing all these other things and not addressing the things that sucked. And it, it find like one day, uh, that's how it works with me. All of a sudden I could hear 
all of the list of all the things I needed to deal with in order to be okay and like move to the next step. And, you know, shit happens, bad shit happens. You know, I had some bad shit happen this weekend and I just have to look at it, talk about it, deal with it and move on to the next thing. Whether the next thing is going to be a marathon where I get to welcome three babies into the world and, have all of that rush of emotion and adrenaline, or, you know, I hit a trauma wall. I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure it out and I'm gonna be fine. And you know, I have my husband that is right there for every step of the roller coaster ride that is me. I have all of my friends and my family and people that love me. And I know that there's gonna be, there's gonna be more shit. There's never not gonna be more shit, but I know now that I'm gonna come out on the other side of it every time. <clears throat> you are very tough. <laughs> a ten, you're tender. To, you're, you're like, you know, what you are. You're like a tender warrior. You are. I was gonna say like a me, a medium steak, like tough on the outside but tender in the middle. <laughs> really, I don't think you're medium. I think you're. A, yeah. I would was, say you're medium rare. And there's this section of yeah. I, I think that's you probably like your steak yeah. like even like, like, like you. Go ahead. I like my steak crispy. Oh, do you? I don't like pink. Oh yeah, Aram hates it. I will order a steak, oh, no. a beautiful steak, butterflied, so they cook it. What honey? Yeah. You get I don't, the I don't worst, like. You get the worst cut of meat when you order like that, because the rare ones they have to give you the good. Cut. You don't care. I don't care. I want mine crispy. I mean, you go, you dissect enough things, you go to medical school enough, and you just can't. I just can't. I can't. <laughs> it's hey, not Marcy. my thing. Oh, I was gonna say. Um, oh, what? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, you had said something about uh, my essential oils earlier. I actually, that was another big hard thing for me to swallow recently. I um, worked for an essential oil company for nine years and that's how I made enough money to buy my house. And that was how I was a stay at home mom for a bajillion years. And I started using another product and I was actually fired by that company because in their, you know, 9,000 page um, policies and procedures, I'm not allowed to do that. And so I had to, I had to leave that company very begrudgingly. It hurt my feelers a lot, but it gave me the, it, it had to happen in order for me to take this next step in right. my life, like find something new that worked better for me. And I found a mental wellness company and I'm like, I don't understand you. What you have will make me feel better emotionally. I don't get it. I'll buy it, but I don't get it. And uh, I have been, you know, with Amari for 13 months now and the product that i sell like mainly um helps with gaba and serotonin and dopamine which are things that i was do not have naturally as a person and uh it has been a game changer for my mental health and i think that's another you know thing that had to happen to get me to where i am now to be able to like address that a lot of the things that were going on with me weren't all my fault and that I was lacking the chemicals in my body right. to be happy. So how can people so, find you? How can people find you if they want to find out more about that? Um, I'm on all the things. <laughs> um, I, I'm on TikTok and I'm on Instagram. It's probably the best place to find me. That's and where I do the most talking. I'm also on Facebook. I don't do anything Marcy else. Flores. Okay. Marcy Flores. I don't tweet. I don't 
Don't you, I, don't I sometimes pray to God that they don't create another social media unless it's one that doesn't censor because Facebook censors me so badly. Oh my God. Right. Um, there was, they created one. I heard people going to that place. No, I've like, done, oh, I have doing all of them, but they're not, you know, you don't have the traffic and, but Facebook traffic on no, mine yeah. is just dropping like crazy. And my Instagram and my website where I'm pushing people, it's just jumping right. like you wouldn't believe, but you just have to learn. Yeah. I feel like Instagram is where I tell my stories and Facebook is where I like share my pictures. That's kind of where I'm, I use the two different ones, but you know, I, I remember, I re very begrudgingly joined Facebook. I was a MySpacer for life. And they made me so if they if they tried to put me on something else like even took me a real i didn't even understand tiktok for the longest time and i had three tiktoks go very viral but i was being a karen which is funny because like all my other tiktoks were like funny and happy and i went on there on a rampage about some squatters and they went viral but i got called a karen one too many times and then i was like you know what i don't care if this has two million views I don't even want it anymore. And I took it all down because I was like, I'm not here for this. I don't need this in my life. I do. I do it like I do lives on there twice a week. And I just all I do is get on and people come on and they just ask me questions. But you get people from Brazil and everywhere. I get 18,000 likes last week on one. And it was just people coming on and I get, I mean, now we have a drinking game. Every time somebody mentions how much they love my hair, my eyes or my beard, everybody has to take a shot. Cause that's all they or do. Calls you a silver fox. Yeah. Oh, they, I, they, anytime you shot. come up in conversation, there's some girl in the group that's like, "Oh, he's such a silver fox." I'm like, "Here, stop." <laughs> it's stop like it. it's so. So I use it like that to get people on my page, and the people are sincerely nice. I mean, there's a lot of flirty women and a lot of flirty gay dudes, but yeah. you know, it's like. I just, I, I just have fun with them. Go, Hey, okay, well, that's not going to happen because I have a wife and I'm straight. So that isn't going to happen. But, you know, and yeah. people go, you handle these people so well. I said, Hey, I've been doing this for 30 years. It's like, this is not yeah. brain surgery. You've hey, been sweetie, in the public view for how long? Oh, since I was 25 years old and I'm 64. It's a Love long that. time. Yeah. yeah. Sweetheart. I so good to talk to you. And I know I took more time than I said I was gonna, but, um, you, uh, it, we'll get you back on here another time. Um, I've, so, I've just so much enjoyed this conversation and uh, learned a ton about you. Um, <laughs> so thank you for taking your time and doing that. Absolutely. I'm going to go back to work, but thank you for having me. It was nice to catch up. I'm glad we and can pull that all off. Next time we'll pick a topic and we'll dive deep into it. Okay. And give your husband a hug for me. I will. Many. All right. All right see you later, hon. Bye. Bye-bye. So again, that's Marcy and, uh, Great conversation. Share that on your page. Let other people see and be encouraged because you never know, like we were talking, when somebody needs that kind of encouragement. Um, one of our big sponsors, Dr. Michael Bratlin, uh, he does, uh, he's giving away a free dental. Well, well watch. This is, this is what you got to see.
all right, I'm not going to get out of this because if I get over an hour, I can't just put this on Instagram. I have to cut it out. <laughs> and I don't want to do that. All right, that's it, you guys. Um, I will see you the next time. Again, share this on your page. See you later.